You know, it was reported uh, not long ago that the average American in a lifetime will spend her or his time uh, like the following. Uh, Five years waiting in line. Two years returning phone calls. Eight months opening junk mail. Six months staring at traffic lights. How much time do we spend on social media? And the list could go on and on and on. And, and that's not just the way we spend our time, but also the way we wait for responses, wait for our time, wait to step up and to move forward. You know, in spite of all of our modern technology today, we still hear the words and experience the reality of waiting, don't we? And you know, not many of us are really that great at waiting. Uh, Some of us have an extra measure of the gift of patience, the fruit of the spirit of patience, if you will. But I'm not one of those, are you? You know, some of you got to church today, or you're live streaming this morning, and and, uh, you're in a waiting state of mind. Uh, By that, I mean some of you may be waiting on a test result. Or some of you may be waiting on a word about a a job that you've applied for. Or or some may be waiting on uh, kids to come over or maybe kids to go home. Or or some of you may be um, uh, waiting on a a, a plethora of things and, 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 and you just can't wait until that thing gets there. I'm waiting on a book. And every time the doorbell rings and there's a delivery person at the door, I just know it's the book, and still I wait. The question is, how will we wait? And and that's where I want to center this message this morning. How do we wait? How do we as Christians in this time of Advent, this time of awaiting, the coming of the Lord, how do we wait? And what purpose and meaning will we find in these in-between times of waiting? You know, there's a character in the Christian drama um, that really is a person who comes after the birth of Jesus, but he so accentuates what this season is about. Oftentimes we read the story of the priest Simeon. And Stephen read that for us beautifully today, and the Powells also at the Advent wreath, they also read a portion of that uh, Luke 2, 25 through 35, the story of Simeon. Well, who was Simeon? He was a righteous and devout priest. He spent his life waiting for uh, the consolation of Israel. He, he, he spent his life hoping that Israel one day would be free of Roman um, control and dominance. One who had lived in constant hope was Simeon. Hope not only of freedom of Israel, but more importantly, the coming of the Messiah. That's what Simeon hoped for. And he was an expert at waiting. An old man at the time of this uh, drama unfolding. On this in-between Sunday, maybe we can find a clue to bring in purpose and meaning to our time of waiting by examining Simeon and some other characters that I want to bring to life today. 
You know, one of the books that made a big impression on me earlier in my ministry, and perhaps it's made an impression on you too, because millions and millions of people have read Stephen Covey's book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And one of the habits that we ought to embrace um, is to always begin with the end in mind. You know, that, that very concept has really driven my ministry. It's about vision. We have to have the end in mind. We have to know where we're going if we're ever going to get there. And if we're going to develop ways to get to that place, we have to have the end in mind. And the first creation is always the creation that we have in our mind, isn't it? Before we ever do, we have to have that concept in our mind. The best thing that a person can do, continues Covey in this great book, is to write a personal mission statement. I remember the first time I sat down to write a personal mission statement. And of course, all kinds of businesses and, and, all, and, and churches today have mission statements that, that, that really move us forward. They, they say what we do, what we're about. And, and to have the end in mind is that vision of where we're going, which is so very important. To articulate, Covey said, in a simple sentence, why you are here on earth and what you hope to accomplish in your time here uh, on earth was really a transforming question to me. What are you about? What is your purpose? What meaning are you in quest of? Then, when you fulfill that purpose, you will know your reason for being and will have been fulfilled. You know, the personal mission statement of Bill Gates, for example, is his mission was to have a computer to be on, the, on every desk in every home. I would say that he's probably come pretty close to uh, realizing that, um, uh, that vision that he had. For Simeon, it was simply seeing the Messiah born before I die. That was his mission. That was what he was about. That was the purpose and meaning that kept him alive and kept him hopeful and, 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 and at watch. What is your personal mission statement? Think about it. What is your reason for living? What do you hope to accomplish? What is your reason for being here in the first place? You see, when your purpose is a purpose that is great, you will be willing to wait. And that's the first lesson I think we learned this morning from Simeon. His purpose and his meaning was so great that he was willing to, work, uh, to, to wait for it. He was looking for the Messiah to be born before he died. And he knew it was worth the wait. You know, Simeon had lived through the Roman invasion and Pompey's massacre of all of the priests. He had lived through that. He'd survived. He had seen the Holy of Holies destroyed and, and other horrific things. He had watched hope sag like a wet rag. And still, 
through it all. He hung on to that meaning and purpose, that revelation that God had promised to send the Messiah. And he was looking for the Messiah. That he had that assurance from God that he would see before he died. You know, that's what hope does for us, doesn't it? It gives us meaning and purpose in life. Hope gives us that meaning and purpose that, that, that keeps us moving forward. Hope sees the invisible. Hope feels the intangible. Hope achieves the impossible. People of hope discovered the vast difference between waiting and marking time. Have you discovered that difference? Do you know the importance of waiting for that which is full of meaning, full of purpose, and the mere marking of time? Do you know the difference between just taking up space on earth and living for a greater spiritual ideal? Simeon waited with purpose and meaning. And you can and I can too. This great season of Advent is all about that expectation, that hope, that waiting for things to be much better, much more full of purpose and meaning, much more others-oriented and centered. And, And all of the things that we believe the Messiah is about. The second thing I want to say this morning that that we learn from Simeon is that Simeon waited with patience. And again, back to that word patience, that that fruit of the Spirit that some of us have um, an an extra bounty and some of us, uh, we have not enough patience. Longfellow said, all things come around to those who are willing to wait. Simeon waited with patience to see the Messiah. You know, I was thinking this week about a story I often think about during Advent because to me, uh, Miss Agnes Krim, she personified Advent and, and what it meant to wait even though she was one of the most impatient people I'd ever uh, met. Maybe it wasn't just impatience. She was just busy. She was after it all the time. Even into her latter uh, years, uh, Miss Agnes Krim was, was quite the character. You know, this was my very first appointment. It, it was in the Texas Conference. It was the First United Methodist Church in Henderson, Texas. It was, it was way back in 1984 when I started my ministry there. It was such a wonderful experience. Everything that I'd been preparing for, I was getting to do. It, it was the fulfillment of my call. And in this particular Advent season, I was delivering poinsettias to homebound members of the church. Now, Miss Agnes, now she wasn't homebound by any stretch of the imagination, but she was up in years. We don't know how many years because she never would tell us her age. You went on the computer uh, database and you'd see Miss Agnes Krim and her birthday, but you wouldn't see the year. And none of us would ask Miss Agnes how old she was. That would not only be rude, but it might get you uh, good talking to. 
You know, I think what personified her personality the best was that she drove a red Cadillac with a white vinyl top and with white leather interior. Now, how many red Cadillacs have you seen lately? I'm sure it was a a special order back in the 1980s. And boy, did she drive that red Cadillac. You know, figuratively speaking, the people in Henderson said, well, when Miss Agnes comes driving the red Cadillac to town, you better be off the sidewalks. Now, she wasn't that great a driver. In, in fact, she boasted that she didn't need any glasses. Now, we're talking about someone who was probably in her ninth decade of life, and she didn't wear any glasses, and, and she would squint those little dark eyes and, and you knew that she probably need, needed glasses, but she would never confess to it and with confidence would say, I just don't even need glasses. My eyesight is perfect. She drove fast, and on a couple of occasions, she drove right straight through storefronts in town. It was kind of the talk of the town, but she just shrugged it off and blamed it on the car. And she could easily pay for the, the damage, Uh, Didn't need the insurance to do so because she was quite wealthy. uh, Made so by the East Texas oil patch and her husband's family's investments there. Miss Agnes was a character. As Christmas drew near this particular year of uh, 1984, I was there on her... um, Uh, at her door with a poinsettia in hand, knocking on the door, realizing that she wasn't home because the red Cadillac was not there, even though we had an appointment at a certain time, and I was there right on time, and then all of a sudden, Miss Agnes in the red Cadillac drove up. I thought she was going to go right through the garage, but she didn't. And she got out of her car and she greeted me in kind of a a fast pace that she was always in. And she opened the door with her key and and welcomed me into the house and and told me to go sit in the parlor that she had some tea and some cookies that we were going to enjoy together as we visited that day. I did exactly what she said to do. And then uh, shortly, uh, she came in to the living room, or the parlor rather, with the, uh, with the tea in this beautiful china and the little teapot. And, and she had these little sugar cookies that were there, just like she'd been preparing them all day. And we sat down there and we started talking uh, first about personal matters. Uh, um, we started talking about uh, the church, which she loved so very well. We started talking about some of her friends who she said, now they really do need a poinsettia. You need to go by and visit them because they really are homebound. You know I'm not homebound, but I appreciate the poinsettia, she said. And then I remembered asking her a question. I said, Miss Agnes, can you tell me a story about Christmas when you were growing up as a little girl? I saw those eyes squint as if she were seeing something in her memory. And then she started talking to me about growing up in a a beautiful Victorian home in Terrell, Texas. She said we had an upstairs room. It was the family room uh, throughout uh, the normal year. But she said about the 1st of December it became the Christmas room. And uh, the door was locked. And she said, we children were told by 
uh, mother and father not to uh, even so much as peer through the keyhole to look into the Christmas room to see what was on the inside there. She said we had to wait. And she admitted, I wasn't too good at waiting even as a child. But none of us would even so much as peer through the keyhole to see what was on the other side of the Christmas room door. And then she said, on Christmas morning, we would hear the sound of jingle bells waking us up from our sleep. And and the jingle bells would be coming from the Christmas room. And and we children, we would rush upstairs and and there the door would be wide open and there uh, the Christmas room would be welcoming us to come in. And she said we had all kinds of, 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 of goodies there on the big juniper tree that was decorated. She said we had socks and stocking caps and knitted sweaters and candy canes. And you could see as she was telling this story how warm it was to her and, and, and how special it was to her. She was there in her mind. And so was I. And then as it appeared that her eyes were starting to get a little bit teary, she said, My tea's cold. Would you like some more tea? My tea has gotten cold. I said, that'll be good, Miss Agnes, and she left the room. And you know, my tea was cold, all right. Who cared? But my heart was warm. It was warmed with this woman, this woman well into her years, talking to me about waiting and about what was experienced through the wait. Simeon waited. He waited with power. I want us to hear that. Simeon waited with power. The 25th verse of this passage that was read earlier. The Holy Spirit was upon him, it said. And then the 26th verse said, It was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. And and then the 27th verse, moved by the Spirit, he went to the temple. Simeon did not possess the Spirit. Let's get that straight. The Spirit possessed Simeon. And in doing so, gave Simeon a power that was recognizable. And one that he experienced. You know, it makes a lot of difference in life when we realize that the Spirit is not something we possess, but something that possesses us and moves us toward that fruit of the Spirit uh, of which patience is but one aspect. Our task is not to get God to fit into our box and to work into our schedule. The task of life is to embrace God's time and to see it from God's perspective and to trust that God will always see us through to a better place. 
The task in life is not to get God squeezed into our mold, but find ourselves surrendered to the molding and making and direction that God would have us go in God's time. Almighty, in God's framework, is always the power that we are called to be about. Surrendering to that power, embracing that power, takes us to a wonderful place. The Bible has two words for time in the New Testament. One is the word chronos, from which the word chronology or calendar derive. Chronos time is just plain old time. It's that drudgery time. It's that tick talk time. It's that measuring of time that we see on a clock. Each second is exactly like the one before. Now how exciting is that, that kind of time? Chronos time is the picture of a convict in prison who is waiting for that time of his release and all he can see is that tick-tock and, and experience that time that seems to pass so slowly. There's another word for time in the Bible. And that word is kairos time. Kairos time is that expectant time. It's not the tick-tock. It's not the drudgery. It's that expectant time of when things will be new and when things will be different and when things will be event in nature. Kairos time is the young mother, nine months pregnant, waiting for the day of delivery. Kairos time is what Martin Luther and John Wesley, uh, restless for the church to be different, uh, because it had lost its mission and they had a new way of seeing things and, and hoping for that time when that kind of church would be fully realized. In a moment like that, in a rich, special, significant, dramatic moment, God became a human being. In Galatians, the fourth chapter, the fourth verse, we read these words. In the fullness of time, that's Kairos time, God sent His Son, born of a woman. Have you ever pondered how right the time was when God sent Jesus into the world as a babe born in Bethlehem? 10,000 Roman laborers had built a vast system of roads all throughout the Roman Empire in that time. Greek language and culture had become like a cohesion to uh, those in the Roman Empire throughout the cultures. There was that that brought them together. And then the old mythical gods and culture that, that some could not even relate to because they didn't grow up in that particular mindset. The Roman Empire was so vast that 
that kind of allure to those kinds of gods was fast passing away. People were hungry for something new. Morals were so polluted and so uh, permissive that, 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 that there was a sense that we need to go to a new place with a new set of values, with new purpose and with new meaning in that time. And the best of spirits everywhere were battling for something better. Better. And in a time like that, in the fullness of that time, in God's time, Jesus the Christ was born. You know, your task and my task in this life is, is not to get God to fit our agenda, but to make our agenda our prayers to be about God's agenda and God's timeline and for us to be about doing our part with purpose and meaning in the midst of that time to advance God's kingdom that Jesus was all about. As Dietrich Bonhoeffer once said, everything has its time. And the main thing is that we keep step with God and do not keep pressing on a few steps ahead or lag a few behind. Old Simeon was waiting for a lifetime. In God's moment, in that Kairos moment when time was just right, there comes a peasant girl and a carpenter to the temple to fulfill the ritual of their Jewish heritage. And as they come toward the altar, the old feeble priest gets a gleam in his eye as if to go all the way back and, and to see that time when, when that vision was first put in his heart. The one for which I have waited for eternity is now before me in God's time. In God's time, it has been revealed to me. You know, many of us have learned to live on a faithful promise from Isaiah. And, and perhaps in uh, these last months, we've been drawn more to... Um, to prayer that God would give us a sense of purpose and meaning like never before. Perhaps our patience has been more tested like never before. Perhaps we need to, um, to stand and hear the word from Isaiah, that prophecy that, that gave birth to Simeon's vision and embrace it for our own. Those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. This is my prayer for you 
this is my prayer for me. And on the eve of this brand new calendar year, and on the second Sunday of our new liturgical year, may we pray to be like Simeon. And pray to have that kind of presence in the midst of God's time that we can trust God to move us toward purpose and meaning that God desires to gift us with. Amen.